This is an ABC podcast. Hey, welcome to Science Friction. I am your host, Natasha Mitchell. And look, to wrap the end of the year, we want to go hell for leather today with a quiz show. In fact, it's not just approaching the end of the year, end of 2019. It's nearly the end of the decade. And what a decade it has been. Wrap your ears around this. To one of the biggest scientific advances of the last 60 years. Scientists working at CERN's Hadron Collider are to make a major announcement. An elusive subatomic particle called Higgs The NASA Mars rover touched down this morning right there on the red planet. A daring mission. Irresponsible. Disturbing. Inappropriate. That's how two of the inventors of a gene editing tool are describing a Chinese scientist's experiment that helped create genetically edited babies. By any measure, Stephen Hawking's life was incredible and given just a few years to live. I thought I would see the end of physics, but now I think the wonder of discovery will continue long after I am gone. Yeah, he said uh, his goal was simple, a complete understanding of the universe. So to the weather. That's all. <laughs> Widespread global optimism after a landmark climate change deal was agreed in Paris. Tempe, Arizona police, they're investigating well a deadly crash involving a self-driving yes. Uber Vehicle. This is how the world's first synthetic organ was made. We're here today to announce uh, the first uh, synthetic cell. This baby lamb has been living inside this artificial womb for three to four weeks. Hey Siri, set timer for 14 minutes. Okay, 14 minutes and counting. Yes, indeed. The future is officially here. 2020 is just days away. So let's put on our jetpacks. Let's upload our minds to the matrix and teleport ourselves into the brand new decade. Joining me from the ABC Science crew, two teams on the girl side, ABC Science writer and presenter Bernie Hobbs. Hey, Tash. Great to have you. And ABC Science reporter Susanna Lyons. Hello. Let's test your buzzers. Taken over with Beyonce. <laughs> and on the boys' side, we have Carl Smith, who you all met in this year's Apocalypse series on science friction. He's also presenter of Short and Curly, the ABC ethics podcasts for kids. Welcome, Carl. Hello. How's it going? Very well indeed. And we have with us ABC science editor, Jonathan Webb. G'day, Tash. What a pleasure. Give us your buzzers, boys. Boys will be boys. <laughs> Can I just say I much prefer the girls, does it? (laughs) Feel free to press it any time you know an answer, Jonathan. (laughs) I've got to say I found it quite hard to find men's empowerment songs. I went looking, I can assure you. Funny, there's been such a dearth and such a need for them for so many millennia. (laughs) (laughs) So you've uh, oiled your brains, got your muscles flexed. We have two rounds in the science friction end of year quiz. And so your heads don't explode. I thought we'd focus on just the last year, not the last decade. So cheeky responses are encouraged. Creative stabs in the dark. Just go for it. No (laughs) fake news here, folks. Are you ready? We're ready. Sure thing. Go for it. All right, question one. Ridley Scott's dystopian film Blade Runner was made in 1982 and it was set way, way, way into the future. (laughs) Haven't asked the question yet. (laughs) Harrison Ford. (laughs) (laughs) It was said in 2019 Last month Let's get a taste So good Don't you love it? 
The score's amazing. That would have been a better buzzer for you. (laughs) (laughs) Harrison Ford, yes, plays former policeman Deckard. He's now a Blade Runner. The question is, what's the job of a Blade Runner? Boys. yeah, to, to, to figure out whether a sentient being is a robot <gasps> or a human. You so got it! <laughs> Let's hear. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants, three male, three female. They slaughtered 20... A Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants. Manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing. Such a stunning film, isn't it? Mm. Amazing. And sort of incredible to think that it was just last month that it was set in. Like, we are in the future, folks. Where's With my jetpack? jetpacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are we ready for question two? Bring yeah. it on. Unless you were living under a rock, and even if you were, there's no excuse. You couldn't have missed that 2019 marked half a century since the Apollo 11 landing when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first humans to walk on the moon. Here's what Neil said as he stepped on the moon. I'm going to step off the limb now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So the question is... And it's multiple choice. What did Buzz Aldrin say when he stepped on the moon? Was it A, wait for me, Neil? (laughs) B, looks like the strut had a little thermal effects on it right here, Neil. Was it C, let's have a few moments of silence, shall we? Or D, beautiful view, magnificent desolation. I thought it was C, but I could be wrong. But you're wrong. It's D. Sorry. It is <laughs> Not that I'm the quiz master or anything. Uh, hang on one sec, Ted. Benny Hobbs. Beautiful blah blah desolation something. Deep. You are all woefully wrong. <laughs> it was one of the boring technical ones. He was so not channeling Keats or Wordsworth with this one. It was B. Looks like the strut had a little thermal effects on it right here. <laughs> I love that. Because, of course, that's what you would say as you were getting on the moon, wouldn't it be? You know, Someone did say the beautiful blah, blah. It's so true. Buzz Aldrin, before he stepped onto the moon. Oh, Oh, so he he only had one poetry line in him. He said, beautiful view. And Armstrong replied, isn't that something? Magnificent view out here. To which Aldrin replied, magnificent desolation. Mm. There you go. And then he got back to sort of kicking the tyres and making sure that everything was in order. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But can you remember the third person? Michael Collins. Who was actually second in charge on the mission. And Aldrin, because he stepped on the moon, everyone remembers his name more than Collins's. Surely the loneliest Mm. human alive up there orbiting the moon while the other two were getting to wander around. So bonus (laughs) question number two, which smouldering... Smouldering actor played Neil in the recent movie First Man. Susanna Lyons. I know my smouldering actors, maybe. Um, That would be Ryan Gosling. (laughs) Let's hear. Oh, sweet. Does anyone have any other questions? Do you think you're coming back? We have a real confidence in the mission and uh, there are some risks, but we have every intention of coming back. But you might not. That's right. 
Oh. You didn't sound very smouldering there. Sound very smouldering. <laughs> I really actually, I actually struggled to find actual lines from him. He barely yeah. speaks in the film. It's the science fiction end of year quiz, and uh, we're wrapping with two teams from the ABC Science crew. On the boys' team, we have uh, Jonathan Webb, ABC Science editor, and Carl Smith, science reporter. On the girls' team, we've got ABC Science writer Bernie Hobbs and ABC Science reporter Susanna Lyons. Okay, next question. Which 1973 Pink Floyd album is relevant to an historic moment in science this year? Let's hear some of the albums. Okay, what was the album and what was the moment? Jonathan, and it would, that would definitely be the Chang'e 4 lander. The Chinese landed on technically not the dark side of the moon, but the far side of the moon. It's the first time we've ever put anything on the other side, the, the bit that always points away from Earth. And what's the song? Oh, and the song and the is album? Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> oh, the album was Dark Side of the Moon. Correct. Now, so there is no Dark Side of the Moon. Technically, no. And people often use that that phrase, I think, to refer to the, the far side, the bit we never see. But, of course, all bits of the moon do get sunlight as it spins around the Earth. Like, we always look at the same face of it, but as it goes around the Earth, there's day and night on all the sides. All the sides. All the sides all, every point on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> when we look at the, at the night sky and look at a moon that is like a crescent moon, we're seeing some of the, the darker side of the moon there, right? But, but we're not seeing we're the not, far side. We're not seeing the far side of the moon, yeah. And we don't see the far side because we're tidally, gravitationally locked, locked to each other. Yeah, because there's always going to be a focal point where there's the most dense point of a body and our two focal points are literally locked because of their gravitational attraction, oh. space-time curviness, etc. And also, like, sadly, the moon is slowly drifting away from us, always, <gasps> bit by bit each year. What are we going to do without our moon? One day it's going to slip out of orbit, apparently, but I, like billions of years I from now. I think that should be our focus right now <laughs> on planet Earth. On yeah. How will we cope? Climate change <laughs> or the moon disappearing mm. into some other universe. Oh, my God. I don't know. I'm quite partial to the moon. What will we do without it? Hey, here's a bonus question. What does the name China uses for its lunar program, Chang'e, actually mean? Think. It's the boys, Carl Smith. <laughs> I think, I think, I think. It, so it's Chang'e 4. It's Chang'e Chang 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 4. So the 4 is the um, the fourth satellite that China has sent up. And I think Chang'e means... Uh, sorry, I'm a bit... Uh, Don't um, be judgy, Tash. I think it's a lunar, <laughs> a lunar goddess oh. from memory. You are uh, killing it. Tash instructed us that we were not to swat up on science oh, facts. No. So this is just pure inherent nerd coming from <laughs> Total Carl nerd Smith, coming which, from I mean, the other team. Or of. It is in Chinese mythology, she was a goddess of the moon. She lives on the moon with the jade rabbit or the moon rabbit. Oh. And she sought refuge in the moon or on the moon when her husband, uh, Ho Yi, the Lord Archer, discovered she'd stolen the drug of immortality given to him by the gods. So that's the story. Mm. Is that so? The jade rabbit is that why you know people say they can see a rabbit in the moon? Is that connected? I wonder. 
While we're lost in space, let's have another question. What astronomical phenomenon did scientists capture and publish the first ever photographic oh, image of this year? <laughs> you know the answer to that. I think though, it was the girls. <laughs> was it you, you or me, Bernie, or both of us at the well, same time? It was of the black hole. Of or the, the, the accretion disk around the black hole. Should okay. I put that better? Explain that for us. Well, of course, you can't see a, a black hole because everything gets sucked into it. But um, Including as, light. Including light. But as, as things are about to get sucked into it, they sort of form this sort of disc around the black hole, which you can see. And then NASA did an amazing visualisation um, of it later this year as well. That's one to the girls. Let's which hear. remarkably looked a lot like what had been depicted in the appalling movie that came out a couple of years Interstellar. ago. You're Interstellar. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was a very good picture. Great depiction. Supermassive black hole. Bad yeah. narrative I, I quite liked Yeah, well, let's not speak to your taste. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear the announcement. We are delighted to be able to report to you today that we have seen what we thought was unseeable. We have seen and taken a picture of a black hole. Here it is. <laughs> They're all so polite, aren't they? Where are the whoops? <laughs> Polite applause is all you get, black hole. <laughs> what did you feel when you saw that image? I, I just personally found it absolutely stunning to see that image for the first time. Yeah, I Phenomenal. thought it was an amazing story. Definitely caught everyone's attention too. I remember the day that happened. We published it, I think it was quite late at night, Aussie time, when we uh, got the news and put it up on the website. But then all throughout the next day, it was still the most popular thing on our website. And if anyone remembers, that was also the day that Scott Morrison called the election. <laughs> and there were like seven or eight different stories about the election up on the website. And the black hole was more popular than all of them put together, which, which led at least one colleague to remark that Australians were clearly would rather stare into the void than <laughs> contemplate a federal election. <laughs> 55 million light years into the void from Earth, 6.5 billion times heavier than the sun. Phenomenal. Uh, for a bonus question, who was the scientist that internet trolls in all their faceless, nameless glory, bullied after her involvement in the research was promoted by her university at the time, MIT. Katie Bauman. You got it. Ah. Jonathan Webb, who is now an assistant professor at the California Institute of Technology. Let's hear from uh, Katie Bowman. This is just like kind of the beginning of being able to have another window into what black holes can tell us about our laws and, uh, and physics. But already we've, we've learned so much. So, you know, we didn't know, even though we had predicted that if you had a black hole that you would see this ring of light, we didn't know we were going to get that ring of light. And that's, you know, what we were kind of testing. We could have gotten just a blob. What was her role in the whole process? Because it was a big role. She deserved accolade. She did, yeah. I mean, it was a huge team that was involved, but the component that she helped to lead was to do with putting the signal together because the telescope that got this picture, it was actually a network of telescopes. It was a bunch of radio telescopes all around the world that all had to look in the same direction and try and piece together their signal. And I, from memory, what she helped with was 
synchronizing the signal across mm. all of those different points, regardless of how much of the atmosphere the light had to go through to get there. So she's quite a kind of computer and, and analysis wizard. And there were just, there were amazing photos of her reacting and beaming the first time she saw these images that she helped to, to create and also helping to ferry the data around the world because this telescope was collecting so much stuff. <laughs> they had to carry the hard drives on aeroplanes. The internet wouldn't, wasn't good enough. Isn't that wild? <laughs> yep, you're absolutely right. Well done. Hey, uh, I'm going to throw in a bonus question at this point. As we race towards the science uh, friction quizzes end... This extraordinary image of a black hole gave further cred to Einstein's theory of general relativity. For a bonus point, can you describe Einstein's theory of general relativity to a three-year-old? I'm so glad that's you, Bernie, not me. <laughs> Jonathan just reached over and hit my phone. Uh, thanks, Webb. Um, okay, to a three-year-old. To a three-year-old. Okay. <laughs> I just took a, a big deep breath, breath in. <laughs> okay. Space time, um, curvature, right. gravity. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, think of the biggest thing that you can think of and then think of the smallest thing that you can think of. And they're not just big and small in how they look and how they feel or what they weigh. They make a difference in the space around them. So if you're really big, like a big, big, heavy thing. Like your mum or dad. Bigger than that. Like <laughs> an elephant. You like, but <laughs> like an elephant. Infinity. Like, like an infinity elephant. Mm. Uh, then you're actually, you're so big that you are changing the shape of space around you. So you're not just looking big, feeling big, being big. You are actually bulging a bit of space around you. And small things do the same, but just to a tiny, tiny extent. Everything changes the shape of space around them, but the bigger things do it much bigger. I and also something, something time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, well, you forgot about yeah. that one time key variable. Time. <laughs> Obviously, space time <laughs> is inferred. Yeah. I reckon that we'll give that to her. <laughs> oh, God, thanks. I, I'm, I'm concerned this is going to reveal my inner nerd, but there's an ad I see on a shop near me that says time is the fifth dimension. Every time I walk past it, I go, everyone knows time is the fourth dimension and get <laughs> and very cross. That's peak time. nerdy, isn't it? <laughs> you should write them a very firm letter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you dags. All right, speaking of three-year-olds, and I know one three-year-old who might know the answer to this next question, our ABC science colleague Joel Werner and his son Finn got together recently in a, an episode of his uh, podcast called Sum of All Parts, all about numbers. Like a lot of three-year-olds, my boy Finn is kind of into dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs. Okay, like he's really into dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs! <laughs> if you look around our place, excuse the mess, it's been a busy week, there's dinosaurs everywhere. Who's this? Spinosaurus. He's got soft teeth and some spiking. Who's this guy? Uh, a myosaurus. So he's got spikes like zebras. And who is this? T-Rex. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it so much. <laughs> this is now a job interview question if anyone ever comes for a job at ABC Science. If you have children, are you prepared to exploit them for the entertainment of our listeners? That is such a, a magical scene from uh, uh, ABC, beautiful. the Sum of All Parts podcast by Joel and uh, his son Finn. So here's the question. The following fossilised remains were found by Grazier Bob Elliott on his farm, Belmont Station, just outside the Queensland outback town of Winton. Girls, girls. Do you want to know what it is? I reckon, I reckon you've got it. <laughs> the pterosaur. The pterosaur. It's terrifying. <laughs> so it's terrifying. It's one to the girls. <laughs> yes, uh, on Belmont Station, uh, Bob Elliott found a partial skull, five partial neck vertebrae and various other bones. One of the most important finds, dinosaur finds in Australia. A new species of what kind of dinosaur? A yes, pterodact- a pterosaur. Pterodactyl, I think. Which is, is that actually not a dinosaur? I thought it was like a adjacent to a dinosaur. I thought it was related to brontosaurus, one of those big, long necks. (laughs) We're really spreading our bets here. Yeah. I wrote wrote a story about it, but I can't remember all the details. It could have been a big chunky one. I can't give that. What does it, I'll give you a clue. What does it do? Flying? Ah. Flying dinosaur. The flyosaur. (laughs) That was close there. Roamed 96 million years ago in the Cretaceous period, uh, right out there in outback Queensland uh, near Winton, and fabulous finding by Bob Elliott, who's been really committed to uh, dinosaur finds. And it's named after the former Winton mayor, Graham Butch Lenton. I.e. it goes by the name of Butch. Because uh, Butch has given a whole lot of support to Winton's Australian Age of Dinosaurs Natural History Museum and we love him for that. Go, Butch. Hey, we are rapidly running out of time, so I'm actually throwing out the entire uh, two rounds phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. And I wanted to ask you all a question. So this year I heard about a whole lot of science that broke my heart, that blew my mind, that made my soul sing... For each of you, I want to know, though, what science this year made you fundamentally rethink something about the world or rethink something about yourself? Susanna. This year? I didn't know it was this year. I think I went back <laughs> further in time. You went Is that allowed? For- Can I time travel? I'll let you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, it's not th- the rules, but it's cool. <laughs> We're working around the rules. Um, I think the thing that blew my mind at university was when I was told, I'm a chemistry major, that we did not know the macro structure of water. And why mm. that blew my mind is because I was like, haven't we figured that out yet? And it sort of introduced me to the idea that so much of science is at the edge of what we know and that often you're speaking to scientists who was, you know, they're really discoverers and, you know, you say, what are they going to do next? And, and they're not necessarily sure. And that's what I find so fascinating. But it also takes you a while to feel comfortable with that because it's a little mm. bit of a scary thought as well. It's so it so seems to be such foundational knowledge. Yes, I felt like saying, stop the lecture, get back in the lab, come back to me when you figured it out. <laughs> Bernie Hobbs. Um, I am also going to go back a bit further than this year because the thing that really, I think, profoundly affected me more than anything else was in about 2010, I did a story on how E equals MC squared can be used to calculate the amount of uh, weight that your phone loses when the battery goes flat, that E equals MC squared doesn't just apply 
to nuclear reactions, which is what I'd been taught at uni and what I'm sure I had taught high school kids. And it opened up this whole world for me of realising that, oh my God, all that physics is not just physics. Quantum, the quantum world and the equivalence principle of energy and mass, they apply to to everything, to chemistry as well. And that has really changed the way I view the world in the last decade. In just what way? Nothing is just biology or just chemistry or just physics. It's all part of this crazy, big, beautiful story. And I just wonder why we don't make those connections clearer in the science classroom, in primary school, in high oh, school, at so university. I have to tell you right now, so the best news from this year is the funding that was given to the University of Western Australia, um, Einstein First Team, who are I doing exactly that. this. And they've been doing this for five years. They've trialled it, teaching quantum and relativity. So Einstein in physics, teaching it from primary school right through to high school. It is absolutely brilliant. And that's exactly the reason that it's happening. So we don't still teach old school Newtonian physics. We teach them the real stuff. Stuff. Or we brilliant. teach them. We teach them about the history of Newtonian physics because it's so yeah. important in the history it's, of science. It's great for practical, quick calculations like getting to the moon and back. But if you really want to know shit, <laughs> you need your Einsteinian stuff. Yeah, well, it's up there with Santa, isn't it? The mythologies that we uh, that, that, <laughs> that are perpetuated in classrooms around Australia. Uh, Carl Smith, what about you? It was a bit of a year of kind of looking out further and further into space, which was just really quite remarkable. I mean, like. You know, Voyager 2 left the solar system, which was pretty cool. We found a planet that was, I think it's like 50 or 55 billion light years away that we know has water on it. Isn't it phenomenal? And the kind of culmination of all that looking out further and further thing for me was the same tools that allowed us to detect gravitational waves allowed us to find two neutron stars. These are dead stars that were merging and colliding. And... Apparently, scientists, by pointing telescopes out there and looking at the the light that came back, were able to prove conclusively that when those two neutron stars collided, they created an element called strontium, which is a sort of, it's kind of a metal element. Now, how did that that fundamentally make you rethink something fundamental about you or the world? Yeah, I mean, it's much like Bernie was saying, the interconnectedness of all these different tools suddenly being employed in all these incredible and science fiction-y ways. And it also shows that every thing, every bit of metal that we've got around us on our planet was formed in these star explosions or stars bumping into one another, which is just insane. We are all but stardust. And finally to ABC Science Editor Jonathan Webb. What science this year made you fundamentally rethink something Was about the world? Was it something I wrote, Jonathan? Or... <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're running out of time. Not going to pick any favourites. For me, I think, well, a lot of us have covered the area of climate change for a long time, those of us that work in this space, and it just feels like... This was a year where it changed a bit, especially here in Australia. It's felt like the debate's a bit different here compared to the rest of the world, maybe not as far along, but no matter what our politicians think about whether it's time to talk about it, it feels like everyone else is talking about it with some of the weather events and the drought and the early fire season that we've had. It just feels like things have changed a bit and it's right at the front of everyone's minds in a way that it hasn't been before. And the proof of, um, you know, Arctic sheets melting and Mm. species that are being pushed to the brink of extinction and then seeing kids out on the street protesting and pushing back. I mean, it's it's kind of an exciting year on that front. Speaking of uh, species pushed to the brink of extinction, can you guess... One million. ...what bird this is? 
Any thoughts? Oh, the grass parrot? No, the, what's the, the, uh, the parrot? The, the, the night guy, parrot? The night parrot. No, I, th- I think I'd recognise the night parrot. We made a whole <laughs> program about it. That's not it. Stab in the dark, albatross tri- chick, I think. Maybe. Oh, uh, there we go. It's the black-throated finch, which, of course, Aww. took out the 2019 uh. Australian Bird of the Year. Congratulations, black-throated finch, if only you survive. Because, of course, it's under threat and uh, uh, the subject of much political controversy with the uh, Adani's Carmichael coal mine project. Hey, we're all out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Winner of the inaugural Science Friction Summer Quiz. Girls, five. Boys, four. Are you serious? Who was counting that? I felt like we hardly pressed anything. It, must it was my Ryan Gosling answer that got us over late. That was it. Yeah, go the Gosling guns. Well done. Thank you to the ABC Science crew, Jonathan Webb, our science editor, Carl Smith from the Short and Curly podcast for kids, science presenter Bernie Hobbs and science reporter Susanna Lyons. Thanks, Tash. Pleasure. Happy Thank, you. Thank you. Summer. Sorry, everyone, if I was not very factual. <laughs> I was the negative control for preparedness, so don't worry. I'm going to let you guys go and do some debriefing. I'm <laughs> Natasha Mitchell. Thank you to studio engineer Selwyn Cousins. And uh, next week on Science Friction, it's our fabulous summer season of highlights, shows that you and we have loved from throughout the year. Talk to your friends about the podcast. Talk to me on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell. See you, folks. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.